when you have great coaches, then after you have great coaches, you get great players. You have a great organization, and you tell them one thing. Just win, David. listening to Just Pod Baby, a Las Vegas Raiders podcast brought to you by silverandblacktoday.com. And now your host, Evan Grote. Let's go, Raider Nation. And welcome to a Victory Monday recap episode of Just Pod Baby. It was cold, windy, and snowy at times in Cleveland, but the Raiders took care of business in a low-scoring, grinded-out, physical game to improve their record to 4-3 and three on the season. This episode of Just Pod Baby is brought to you by Silver and Black Today. We still have some room on the bandwagon, so make sure you come over and join us. All kinds of great content available for you. Support for Just Pod Baby is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for the family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code podbaby at manscaped.com. Trust me, your balls will thank you. Let's bring in my co-host for tonight. It's been a couple weeks since we've we've heard from him. As you know, you can find him all over the place, Silver and Black Today, Just Blog Baby, and of course, Bleacher Report. Mo, how's your uh, Victory Monday going? Going pretty well. Um, technical difficulties last week, so I couldn't be with you guys, but back on today after Victory Monday, which feels great. But of course, Evan's the star of the show today because he actually went to Cleveland and watched the game in person, so we're going to hear about that, and of course, we're going to break down the game. Absolutely, Mo. We're glad to have you back. Uh, wasn't the same without you. I got I got to say, it just it just was not the same without you. Glad to have you here this week. And yeah, it was a very important win for the Raiders, I thought. And I think the Raiders have a really good chance now to rattle off a couple wins here in a row and, and build some momentum going into the back end of the schedule, which looks, which looks really uh, manageable. Um, and as you mentioned, I was at the game. I want to just kind of give some of my, my thoughts about you know the experience. Um, it was the first time that I've been to a game since 2018, so I was I was really excited to you know to get to a game, and I I was supposed to to go to the Week Four game um, in Las Vegas, and because you know they weren't having fans, so I was really bummed out about missing out on that opportunity. So I really I had the Browns game circled on my calendar for a long, long time. So I was really glad that I was able to go, and um, I had great seats. I got I found some really good seats on online, and we just, I just had a great time. It was it was fun to be out there in the elements, you know the snow which was coming down at some point in the game the wind it just really made it that much better in fact there was one point in the game that uh where 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 the wind really picked up and the snow really started to fall and all the fans were just like cheering doesn't matter if they were Raider fans or Browns fans everybody was just happy to see that snow falling it was it was a really cool uh point in the game and the other thing that I wanted to um mention uh here is that I'm not sure if you've gone to many games or not, Mo, but I'm always really impressed when I when I go to games on the road with how well Raider Nation travels. And I thought they really showed up once again. There's only 12,000 fans that were allowed into the stadium, but I I saw a very strong Raiders presence for sure. They were they were loud and proud and 
again, it was a great time. And because they won, obviously it made my, my three hour drive back home a, a lot better after the win. So again, I wanted to make sure I put that out there, uh, for all the listeners, but, uh, let, let's get into the recap. And, and this week it's going to be a little bit different, Mo. I'm going to, I'm going to toss some topics out there and, uh, maybe a particular drive I'll, I'll bring up and we'll just kind of discuss it and, and just give some of our thoughts on that. So if you're ready to go, we'll start. Yeah, I'm absolutely ready. All right, let, let's start with uh, Trent Brown. You know, all week long, the expectations uh, were that he would play this week. And, and in fact, Sunday morning, he was pegged to start. But about an hour before kickoff, when the inactives come down, Trent Brown was listed. And the story is, is that he fell sick before the game. If you heard Derek Carr's press conference after the game, he talked about Brown being wheeled out of the locker room, which sounded like a really scary situation. And we didn't have too much information yesterday, but the story kind of came out today. Gruden had a press conference and he talked about how uh, Trent Brown received an IV before the game. And there were some, some complications with that. Apparently air got into his bloodstream, which I'm not exactly what, uh, and I'm not exactly sure what happened to Brown as a result of that. From what I understand, though, it can be a very, very dangerous thing. It can even be fatal. So just a really, really unfortunate situation for Trent Brown. Yeah, absolutely. I believe Scott's going to have uh, Pro Football Doc on Wednesday to discuss what you know exactly what that means, having oxygen in your bloodstream. But when the news first broke, I'm, sur- I'm sure many people, their first reaction was to roll their eyes because Trent's been having an issue getting on the field. Uh, it's been either an injury, he had COVID. But when I when I saw that and I saw he fell and I read the news that he felt fell ill in the locker room, my first thought is this is a six eight three hundred eighty pound guy who just had COVID. So I'm thinking maybe he wasn't completely over over it, and and I was kind of worried about that. I know a lot of fans took Twitter to say, oh, he's a bum. He's trying to get out of playing again. This is Trent trying to miss another game and stealing the Raiders' money, and I and I just. It kind of made me cringe when I first read it, and I get it. As a fan reaction, I understand Trent's track record of not playing. I under- I completely get that. But when you have a guy who just had COVID-19 and you hear about him feeling ill in the locker room, as a human, my, my mind immediately goes, I hope he's okay, and I hope this is not complications from COVID. And, um, again, a lot of people on Twitter just came out and just kind of bashed him, and I just feel like tw- with Twitter – I get it. It's a place where you can kind of espouse your immediate thoughts, you know, right then and there without having to think about anything. And I get a lot of people did that, did that. And I'm not condemning these people because I get it. I get what Twitter is for. This is what social media is about. People just spout off ideas without getting all the facts. But with his situation, I feel like not that he deserved a break, but especially with COVID in the middle of a pandemic, we have to be careful about players who get sick or fall ill before a game or at any time because you never know what could happen to that player and it could be very serious. Yeah, and I'm so glad you brought that up because I'm with you and and you know, I saw so many people out there on social media rushing to judgment. I mean, this was like immediately after the news broke too, like that he wasn't going to be playing without without knowing any other information and even after the game I mean, at that point, I I still didn't realize what was going on. I mean, I was at the game, so I wasn't really on my phone a whole lot. But I listened to the post game on the ride home on Raider Nation Radio, and callers were, you know, 
calling in and, and just saying all kinds of horrible things about him. I'm done with him. You know, the, the same stuff we've been hearing. And uh, again, as you said, it's, we know it's frustrating as a fan. Um, but I've, I, I, you know, I'm going to kind of pat myself on the back here. I've really given him the benefit of the doubt all season, even when it was, um, when he did test positive for COVID because you know there, and there were rumors that he wasn't wearing the, the tracking device. I still was like, you know what, let's, let's hear from him. Let's hear his side of the story. And I think, I think fans got to give this guy a, a little bit of a break. I know it, it may look one way, but I think some of these things, especially in this case, this is, this is totally out of his control. And um, so, I, you know, let's, let's, let's pump the brakes a little bit on, on crushing Trent Brown. Uh, I think you and I are on the same page there. Um, I think the big question now everyone's going to be asking is what is his status for this week, right? That That's what everyone's going to be talking about. Gruden talked about in his press conference today, uh, he was discharged from the hospital. I mean, he was still in Cleveland today. He didn't travel with the team. So, I mean, this was a, this was a serious thing. Um, but yeah, I think that the Trent Brown saga could go on for at least another week if we don't, uh, you know, whether or not he starts. And I, I can't, re- I don't know about you, but I can't recall a situation like this with a player in some time. Just a weird series of events. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, I understand his track record, and I understand the frustration from the fans. But and I know this is going to fall on deaf ears. But with any any time you're dealing with a, a person's health. You know, just just kind of pump the brakes and just be careful what you say. I know fans don't have to have this restraint. This is more for writers and reporters do this. But just as a human being, you, you know, the guy has a family. He's someone's son. Just be be mindful of, of health situations, especially at a time like this. Absolutely. Well said, Mo. All right, we're going to uh, – let's move on. Um, you know, speaking of Brown and his absence, it was Sam Young who got the start – for Brown and you know he he's been dealing with his own issues. He, this guy did not finish the game. He continues to deal with his own injuries and he he just can't stay healthy. He, uh, Brandon Parker had to step up and, and finish it for him and he held up well. Uh, Gruden said he gave him a game ball, so uh, that that's a great sign from Parker. But you cannot expect him to be the long term option. This team needs Trent Brown back desperately. Uh, I thought the offensive line as a whole played well. Let's talk about the performance on Sunday. I thought they dominated the line of scrimmage, particularly on offense, paving the way for Josh Jacobs' season-high 128 yards on the ground. What did you think of the performance by the offensive line? Uh, kudos to Tom Cable again. Uh, Tom Cable, if you're listening, that avocado, avocado smoothie offer is still on the table. Um, Raiders' backup offensive lineman performing well. You mentioned Brandon Parker. He played 51 snaps at right tackle, allowed zero pressures. This is a guy who woke up in the morning, as Gruden said, and thought he was going to be inactive. And he wound up playing most of the snaps starting at right tackle. So to go from thinking of the mindset, I'm inactive today, to I got to play my best game, against a, a, a formidable duo, Miles Garrett and Olivier Vernon. Uh, big props to Brandon Parker because he's been getting crushed and rightfully so by Raiders fans for his poor play. He really stepped up yesterday and filled in well. Now, you mentioned Sam Young played 23 snaps at right tackle. He allowed two sacks in that short period left with a knee injury. So maybe we see Parker more than Sam Young going for. Who knows? Maybe this is a momentum builder for Parker who has struggled. But also Denzel Good. John Gruden said Denzel Good is the unsung hero of the Raiders team. Plays two positions. Of course, he's filling in for Richie Incognito at left guard, but can also play right tackle if, if they need him to. This is a guy playing well at two positions, so kudos to him as well. The Raiders' backup offensive line playing well, and you like to see it, especially in a game where they had to run the ball 208 yards. Of course, Josh Jacobs is going to get all the headlines, but props to that offensive line for holding up. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you. I, I think overall fans, I, I think we go, we went into the season with the expectations that this offensive line at full strength was going to be one of the top lines in the league. Uh, obviously, they, they haven't been together a whole lot, but I think overall, we you have to be pretty happy with the way the offensive line is, is playing right now. There's been so much, um, you know, there, there hasn't been much stability with the group. Uh, they've done it without two starters for most of the season, and in some cases, they have third string guys in there, Brandon Parker being one of them. John Simpson has gotten time, so it's really been a mess along the offensive line, and as you said, Tom Gay- Tom Cable, he's got to deserve a lot of credit for that. And uh, as a guy who supported the the addition of him all those you know a couple years ago, I'm very I'm very happy to see the the job that he's done. Uh, um, you, uh, Josh Jacobs, you touched on him a moment ago. He will get the headlines. I did mention he had a season high 128 yards on 31 carries. It was a heavy workload for him, and it was really great to see him finally have. I, what I thought was his breakout game of the season. He didn't have any real long runs, or he wasn't real flashy or anything like that, but it was just a real physical ground-and-pound kind of game where the weather played a large role. His performance was exactly what this offensive needed to uh, to win this type of game. Definitely, and I'll go one step further. It was actually his career high, best year, best day on the ground for him Rushing-wise, 128 yards, his best. And, of course, he had 31 carries, which is another career high in rush attempts. But this is what you need out of Josh Jacobs because a lot of people were worried about him up to this point. A lot of people said, well, he hasn't had a 100-yard rushing day. He had one by this time last year. Uh, I will say, again, as we mentioned, that offensive line has only played three snaps together all season, mostly because Trent Brown's burned out. Of course, Richie Incognito missing time. But that offensive line, that starting offensive line, hasn't been together. Again, that's no excuse. But you got to understand, defenders, uh, the teams are going to load the box against Josh Jacobs and force Derek Carr to to beat them because they'd rather have that because Derek Carr wasn't stretching the field last two years. Rather have that, put the ball in Derek Carr's hands and hope that he makes a mistake than Josh Jacobs running the ball for about five yards a carry. He's about 4.8 yards per carry last year. So teams are looking at that film and saying, we can't let Josh Jacobs beat us. And of course, they're tightening up, but he's still getting the job done. As you saw yesterday, they really needed him in that inclement weather. Not a lot of passing yards for either team. Derek Carr had his plays, but it came down to the run game and the Raiders got it done. Yeah, and I, you know, one of the things I, I I thought he looked real fresh. You know, I know that he's been he's been banged up, you know, most of the year. He's been on the injury report, but I thought he looked healthy. He looked he looked he looked fast, he looked strong. So that that's a good sign uh for Raider fans. And and because the Raiders had so much success on the ground, they were really able to control the time of possession. Almost 38 minutes they had the ball to, to the uh, 22 minutes for the Browns. That is a huge advantage in this type of game. Uh, you know, where you mentioned passing yards were, were at a premium. Uh, the Raiders did rush for 208 yards total on the ground. Devontae Booker chipped in with 29 yards and five carries. But the big surprise was Derek Carr. Yes, you heard me right. Derek Carr was second uh, in rushing on the for the team. 41 yards on six attempts. We will get into more about Carr in just a second. But I want to finish up with Josh Jacobs. Uh, as we move into the, the the later part of the schedule, how important do you think it is that you know they continue to make him the focal point of this offense? I think it's important to get him going because he is a lot of people going into the season. A lot of people called him the engine to the offense, and I still agree with that. Even though I believe the Raiders are a little more balanced now because Derek Carr is willing to stretch the field, as I just mentioned. But just a quick note. Um, Devontae Booker is not going to get a lot of publicity because he only had 29 rushing yards. 
But this is a guy, if Josh Jacobs wasn't the workhorse, and I tweeted this yesterday, if Devontae Booker was getting more touches, we'd be talking more about him because he is a legit number two. And a lot of people didn't think that he would make the roster in the summertime. People thought he would be eventually cutting at the Raiders would need a number two back. I remember people calling for Adrian Peterson. Our boy Q at Silver and Black today wanted uh, a couple of guys. I think he pined for Adrian Peterson. And even I was like, I wouldn't be adverse to him, but. Devontae Booker is really getting the job done as a number two guy. He's filling that role pretty well. Now, if you're if you're talking about the Raiders being a playoff team and you're looking at the division leaders right now, if you got to go to Buffalo, if you got to go to Pittsburgh, you need maybe you need more than Josh Jacobs going. Maybe you need Josh Jacobs and Devontae Booker. You need a strong run game, two guys who can run the rock just in case one guy gets hurt because if you can go to those places in Buffalo and Pittsburgh, it's going to be snowing. The weather's not going to be nice in January, so you got to be able to run that ball. Yeah, and they do have a, a late game uh, this season coming up with the Jets as well, and, and mm-hmm. so that that'll be another most likely another bad weather game. So I'm with you there. Uh, I want to move on to Derek Carr. He checked off another box yesterday, getting a win in a cold weather game. We know that's been a major struggle for him, and you know not only was the it was cold, you know, 40 degrees around kickoff time, but with that wind chill, it was it was much cooler than that. It was the it was the high winds and the precipitation that was kind of falling all on and off throughout the game. I thought he dealt with it very well. He didn't put up gaudy numbers or anything like that. He didn't really have to. Uh, I do think, I will say, I think he missed that throw to Ruggs early in the game. I don't know if it was a miscommunication between him and Ruggs. I don't think they're totally on the same page quite yet. They got to fix that. Maybe the wind uh, affected the throw, but you know that, that could have been a touchdown had they completed that play. Uh, but where I was mostly impressed with Carr was his ability to run the ball. He picked up a couple big first downs with his legs. Um, I want to. I want you to talk about the the play in the third quarter, six oh five, uh, on the clock. It was a, a third and eight. The score was tied at the time, six six. In my opinion, it was it was the turning point play of the game. I I, I can't I, I can't say enough about this play. I really thought it was a huge play in the game. Uh, it came on a fifteen play drive, seventy five yards, and um, they held the ball for eight minutes and fifty four seconds on this drive. So go ahead and, and talk us through what you saw on that that third and eight scramble by by Carr. But definitely Carr drops back and he sees a pocket collapsing on his left side. So he basically just steps up and takes it in front of him. A lot of people criticized Carr previously that he's a little hesitant to use his legs to pick up first downs. Not that time. He, it looked like he was very decisive with that. When once he saw the pocket collapse on his left side, he was off to the races. And you can see after the run, he was pretty pumped up. Uh, but you like to see Derek Carr do those things to extend drives because eventually that led to a touchdown later on to Hunter Renfro. So not only did that drive pick up a first down, but an extended thing so that the Rays can get that only touchdown of the game. So again, Carr not hesitant to use his legs. It's, it's great to see that. People, of course, the Carr haters out there want to point out, well, he did fumble and, there, and Devontae Booker recovered it. Carr thought he was down on that uh, in that play, but... Um, for the most part, I think he's taking care of the football. He's not too careless. He covers it up. A lot of people want to see him slide more. John Gruden said he doesn't want to see Derek Carr lower his shoulder after his runs. But it's good to see Derek Carr fired up and confident in his legs. Yeah, I don't know what he, I don't know what he was thinking out there not getting down. I was, you know, <laughs> uh, I didn't like to see that. But um, yeah, you talked about how how the uh, that that first down extended that drive, which led to the to the touchdown. Um, and he did complete five passes after that first down as well. Two passes uh, for twenty yards to Renfro, and then two to Waller for twelve yards, all setting up that four yard uh, touchdown to Hunter Renfro to make the score thirteen to six. Uh, and he did have another big big run late in the game. 
it was a designed run this time, and he took it 18 yards down to the Cleveland two-yard line. Unfortunately, they didn't punch that one in, uh, but Daniel Carlson did add a 24-yard field goal to make the score 16-6, to and that really put the game out of reach. But I, I think what we're seeing from Carr is is like what you said. He's he's just a little bit more decisive. When he's deciding to go, he's going, and, and he's, he just looks much more comfortable as a runner. And he's done this a couple of times now this season. This is not the first time he's 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 uh you know picked up first downs with his legs quite a bit here recently. It feels like this is a, a trend, not just a fluke. And and for me, this is just one of the things that I have kind of knocked Carr on uh, in recent years. But I, I definitely see a noticeable difference in his willingness to 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 run and pick up first downs. So I, I hope it continues. And uh, because like we said, it, um, those plays they're big and and they they help extend those drives. Yeah, absolutely. They're not gonna uh, show up as a as a touchdown or anything, but those that's what you call winning football. You need the first down. No one's open downfield. What are you gonna do with the football? You tuck it. You run. You get the first down. You move on to the next play. It's good to see. Yep. And we're we're gonna stay on the offensive side of the ball here for just one more topic. I want to ask you about the usage of Henry Ruggs. Last week uh, on the preview episode I talked a lot about this I, I you know I'd like to see rugs get more involved going into the game this past weekend he only had 14 targets I know that he's missed a couple games with injury but I, I still think Gruden could be doing more to create some touches for rugs and he did get five uh, touches on Sunday uh, he caught a caught a screen pass uh, they took the deep shot to uh, to him early in the game. He caught a pass, you know, an intermediate route as well, and they used him on a jet sweep. So I, I got to give Gruden credit. He he was creative. That's what I was asking for, and it does seem like Gruden's kind of getting on board with getting this playmaker more touches. Obviously, I think the weather affected the passing game, so perhaps he would have been more involved had it been a you know better weather game. Uh, but I do think it's a sign to co- uh, of things to come. I'm interested to get your thoughts on on how Gruden has implemented rugs uh, through the first eight weeks. Yeah, I talked about this privately with Scott, and I think I'm surprised this is not getting a little more discussion on Raiders Twitter because usually Raiders Twitter is all over everything. Maybe it is, and I'm just not paying attention to it. But with Ruggs, I feel like he's getting the Amari Cooper treatment a little bit. Remember before the Raiders trade Amari Cooper, he wasn't – now I understand he had his drops. Maybe he had some effort issues. If, if you look at the film, maybe he wasn't trying as hard as he should have been some, on some plays. But if you remember Amari Cooper, he wasn't getting a lot of targets before the Raiders traded him. And people were saying, well, he's not producing a lot. But then again, he's not getting a lot of targets. And to me, I hope this is not a pattern, but is there does Gruden have an issue getting the ball to his wide receiver one? Is that is this, is this a Gruden issue or is this a design issue or is this something else that we're, we, we're not seeing? But Gruden did kind of put the onus back on rugs after the Buccaneers loss. And, I, and I'll read this quote from him after the postgame. He said, we tried yesterday, but give Tampa Bay credit. We tried to give rugs the ball, so to speak. Then. I'm going to go back to the quote. They cover Ruggs a few times. They cover him like a blanket. So Ruggs has to beat one-on-one coverage. Certainly we had to diagram more plays to give him the ball, but when it is one-on-one, we need him to win. So what that tells me is Gruden is saying, Gruden is saying yes, we have to design more plays for him and, and scheme him open, but he also has to win his one-on-one matchups for us to get him the ball. So what that's telling me is that this is a shared responsibility. Yes, the Raiders have to uh, do more with Ruggs to kind of free him, free him, but he also has to free himself out there. And that was one of my concerns about Ruggs coming out of Alabama. 
He's a smaller wide receiver under six feet, I believe, about 190 pounds. How is he going to do against press coverage in the NFL? Is he going to be able to get off the line of scrimmage when bigger cornerbacks jam him? Can he free himself if he needs to? Does he have the play strength to consistently get open downfield? And on certain situations, you point out earlier, Carr just missed Ruggs. I believe Carr thought Ruggs was going to the corner and Ruggs didn't go to the corner. So there's a miscommunication there. But from Gruden's quote after the Buccaneers loss, Ruggs also bears some responsibility to get himself open so he can get the football. And if that becomes a problem, you wonder, like, you, you spent a, a, a 12th overall pick on this guy. Can he consistently get himself open? And if you're worried about that, that may be a problem down the line. But again, we would like to see Ruggs get more than three, four targets in a game. I believe he's had five targets just once. And that was in week one. He got that in one half. And I'm wondering, where is that? Where's that play calling from Gruden? Get your wide receiver one involved so they can get in the game and produce. Yeah, I, I, I think I think Gruden's uh, comments were fair. It, it is a shared responsibility. He admitted that he needs to do a better job scheming it up. And I think part of it is on, on rugs. He needs to do a better job getting open. But, um, you know, I was looking at some of the numbers um, of some of the other top wide receivers from last year's draft class, those guys are getting seven, eight targets a game, you know, where Ruggs is getting barely four. I mean, I think it was, uh, well, now he's got 18 targets now through, through five games. So, I mean, you know, that, that's not a whole, that's not many, you know, they, I just, I still want to see him more involved. However, it's got to happen. I mean, whether it's again, more short screens, um, I, you know, I have yet to see him run a slant route this season. It seems like you, you, you know, I, I talked about how you use this early round draft pick on him. You got to utilize him like a number one pick. You can't just run him on those deep routes. Um, and, and again, Gruden did, did show some of that this weekend. So I do hope it's a, it's a thing, um, you know, a look into what we'll see in the, in the upcoming games here. All right, let's, let's move on. I do want to jump over to the defense, Gruden was clearly not happy after that Tampa Bay loss. Uh, and he made reference throughout the week that changes would be coming on defense. And I think the obvious change that needed to be made was was to help out that pass rush, which is you know non-existent. And I think Gunther needs to be more aggressive with his play calling and blitz a bit more. Going into the game, the Raiders ranked near the bottom uh, in the league in blitz percentage. And for me, that's that's one of the things I did notice. That was one of my big takeaways from the defensive performance. Tell us about what you thought about Gunther's game plan to dial up a little bit more pressure against the Browns. Yeah, he had to be a little more aggressive because the numbers show that Baker Mayfield doesn't do well with blitz or or a lot of pressure, I believe. So he he did turn up the heat a little bit. The Raiders didn't come away with any sacks, but you can see the effort was there with the Raiders, and you saw some inside moves there. Um, with Mohurst going down, that, that could hurt them going forward. But, again, you'd like to see at least Paul Gunther is trying something different because what he was doing before was not working. I know that a lot of people say rush for and drop the rest. When you're not getting enough pressure and you're allowing quarterbacks to pick you apart, you're going to have to blitz. Now, of course, on the back end, I think the worry is that can their cornerbacks and defensive backs hold up in coverage? I have big questions about Nevin Lawson if Damon uh, Arnett is not back yet. But this is probably one of the reasons why Gunther was hesitant to blitz in the first place because he's worried about his pass coverage. In this case, no OBJ. Uh, Baker Mayfield isn't the most accurate quarterback. He will throw a pick. Uh, a lot of I feel like Baker Mayfield, you put the ball in his hands, you force him to beat you because we all know the Browns are a run-heavy team. So the Raiders, again, 
weren't too worried about exposing the back end of their defense, and they were able to blitz a little more. But again, going forward, you have to take this by a case-by-case basis. If a quarterback is good under pressure, you may not want to blitz. A guy like Patrick Mahomes, you may not want to blitz him. You drop four and you have a QB spot, as they did with Arden Key. With this case yesterday, it was fine with Baker Mayfield because, again, not great under pressure. Not a lot of weapons out there. So, again, Gunther pushed the right buttons, and the Rays were able to hold the Browns to six points. Yeah, absolutely. You got to you gotta pick your spots with the Blitz, and I, I totally understand that. Uh, and you, you brought up Nevin Lawson. Man. I mean, he's had a couple of rough weeks, right? I mean, <laughs> and it's too bad because he's been so close to, like, making the play. Like, <laughs> even that one against Gronk where he was, he was split out one-on-one, you know, obvious mismatch, but he was – like right there, he just was a little bit undersized and just couldn't make the play. And, you know, it's just like, it's a game of inches as they say. And he was, he was inches away from making plays, but yeah, I think, um, you know, we're all looking forward to seeing Damon Arnett come back. One of the players that I want to talk about, um, specifically from yesterday was, was Jonathan Abram. And I, you know, I talked about him a lot on my preview episode this week as one of the players that I wanted to see him used more as a blitzer. And I think we saw that on Sunday. Now, in my opinion, Abram is at his best when he can just play fast and, and just play free, just allow him to fly around and make some plays. And that's what we saw from him. I thought he played very well. And, um, you know, again, you talked about how you know, maybe the added pressure uh, or, or added blitzing didn't really register, didn't didn't result in a sack. But I think that at times you could see that the pressure was was disrupting some things for Mayfield. Um, so, and, and one other thing that I want to point out is there were a couple times where I noticed there was a blitz that was called, but it was a run play, and it resulted in a, like a no gain or a very little gain. So not only was was the blitzing, you know, beneficial in, in the past game, but I think it also helped out in the run game as well. Absolutely. I think people assume that, okay, blitz is for taking down the quarterback and getting a sack or a pressure. Not necessarily because when you have, again, you just mentioned it, as you have a run heavy team like the Browns, you want to be able to stop them in the backfield. And I really liked, I, I believe I peaked early and saw John Abram had a good clean tackle on Kareem Hunt in the backfield and just took him down. And it's not only does your blitzer have to be good at, at bringing pressure and finding holes, but he has to be a clean tackler because if he misses, that could be a huge gain. So that's kudos to Jonathan Abram for being a clean tackler and just being able to have the technique to bring guys down on the first hit most times. Now about John Abram, John Gruden compared Abram to Rodney Harrison. A lot of people see him as a Jamal Adams type. Gruden says he could be Rodney Harrison. Uh, that's very high praise. And it just goes to show that his ceiling is very high. Let's just hope he could stay healthy because the Raiders defense is definitely a different unit when he's on the field. Definitely. I agree with you there. I want to touch on the injury to Mo Hurst. That's a big loss if he should miss any time. Gruden's calling it a sprained ankle right now and said that he would probably be limited um, during during the week, uh, this week of practice. You know, Hurst has probably been the most consistent defensive lineman they have, and and hopefully he he is back soon and he doesn't miss the game. And I also want to add that I thought, uh, speaking of defensive linemen, I thought Jonathan Hankins played a really really good game. He showed up a lot uh, in the run game, and I and I think overall holding the Browns that rushing attack, which was fourth in the league going into the game, holding them to 101 yards on the ground, that was a job well done by the defense. Yeah, absolutely. And if Mohurst missed some time, this is a perfect time for Malik Collins. Where are you? Perfect time for him to finally show up and be the guy that the Raiders 
thought he could be. I know John Gruden also mentioned Kendall Vickers. Uh, there are guys that could, they could bring up off the practice squad if necessary. But as you mentioned, uh, you want Hurst on the field because he's been one of their most productive defensive linemen. But again, as I said, if he's not, Malik Hurst, this is your time. Yeah, and maybe Malik even, Collins, I should say, this is your time. Yeah, and maybe even David Irving too. I mean, I know Gunther mm-hmm. said he he needed some time to you know he's been out of football for quite a, quite some time and he needs to kind of get his feet under him. But this could be a spot where we see David Irving uh, step in as well. Uh, you know, continuing with the defense, you know, they did not allow a touchdown, which is, which is a great thing. Only six points. Uh, after allowing at least 24 points in all of their previous six games, so it was a much needed good effort by them. But I, I'm still not completely, you know, sold on this defense. Um, not the slightest, to be to be honest. I don't want to be negative, but um, you know, I just I still don't really see it. They they did force a turnover, which was promising. They didn't give up any real big explosive plays. But to me, I thought the weather was a a, a big, uh, you know. The, the weather got the assist for the Raiders' defense. How much of a factor do you think the poor weather played in slowing down the Browns' offense? Well, between us, you would know more than me because you were actually there, but I would agree with you. I would say I wouldn't get too hype about the Raiders' defensive performance yesterday simply because we all know the weather played a factor. I don't want to take away anything from those guys because they play hard. We mentioned John Abram. We mentioned John Hankins. Uh, those guys put in the work, but you got to understand, number one, I I wasn't high on Baker Mayfield to begin with. His best games are against the Bengals. He can tear out the Bengals, but when it comes to any other defenses, he struggles. I believe in eight games, he's only thrown for over 200 yards in three of them. So he's basically a game manager. That Browns team runs the football, and they and they hang their hat on that. So if you simplify things and you say, hey, let's just stuff the box and stop the run, basically you can stuff the Browns offense. So I'm not again, I'm not throwing a party for the Raiders defense after that performance. The big test is when they play Justin Herbert next week, which we'll go into a little bit at the end of the show. That's going to be the real test for the Raiders defense because it's going to be good weather and Justin Herbert is slinging it all over the field. So that's going to be the test that I'm looking for. I, I Again, I'm not taking anything away from the guys who put in work yesterday, but this was not the game that I look at as, okay, the Raiders defense is back on the right track. I would actually say this is the game that Carr deserves more praise than anything because he's been criticized for playing poorly in cold weather. I believe at kickoff it was 49 degrees or colder. So this is a guy that checked, as you said earlier, checked another thing off the box, beat the Chiefs an hour ahead, now wins a cold weather game, played well, had some winning football plays, threw a touchdown, the only touchdown pass in the game. Kudos to him. Still skeptical on the defense, though. Yeah, and that, that's part of the reason why I mentioned mentioned the fact that I wasn't really. I mean, I was I was happy to see the performance by the defense, but I'm I'm not fully buying in because I was at the game, and I and I and I can tell you right now that wind was whipping badly in that stadium, and you know I I went back and watched the game. Um, I, I had it on I DVR'd it, and I went back and watched it. You you could not really get a true. You know, indication of how bad the conditions were from TV. So again, I, I I saw firsthand how difficult it was to for the kicking game, and you know the passing game to really uh, really play a role or you know play, play a role in that game. So yeah, definitely. Um, all right, Mo, we're, we're running out of time here, but before we we get a, get to my my break and, and then we we will wrap it up. I, I do want to look ahead to Week Nine as you mentioned against the Chargers. 
I did take a quick look at the playoff picture uh, today, the way it currently stands right now. I know it's a little bit early, but the Raiders are on the outside right now looking in. They're at, they hold the eighth seed right now. Still a lot of football to be played, but I did want to kind of give everybody an update on that. And keep in mind, there are seven teams now going to the playoffs from each conference with that added wildcard team. Um, this weekend, they head to L.A. to play the Chargers, as you mentioned, and I haven't really be- begun my deep dive into them quite yet, but I, I do know they, they blew a, a big lead against the Broncos on Sunday, and as you mentioned, the rookie quarterback, Justin Herbert, has played very well. What are some of your early thoughts on, on the matchup? Yeah, Raiders fans shouldn't overlook the Chargers. I know what their record says they are, 2-5, and five, and they've been blowing leads, but this is not a reason to sleep on this Chargers team. Justin Herbert has thrown at least three TD passes in each of the last four games. He is the real deal, people. And he's got Keenan Allen. He's got Mike Williams downfield. I know they don't have Austin Eckler, but Justin Jackson is running the ball pretty well. They got Joshua Kelly, who's a rookie fourth rounder who peeks in and does some work Tremaine Pope who's an unknown has some carries yesterday has some catches so they have a running back by committee and they have two weapons on the outside don't forget Hunter Henry who's a tight end I'm worried about Corey Littleton because we still even with the Raiders defense playing well in that weather we I still haven't seen it with Corey Littleton I don't know what the issue is but I saw a stat and he's missing about 20 over a little over 20 percent of his tackles so it's a tackle issue for Corey Littleton. I don't know if they just need to have him on coverage just to kind of get him back, but that could be a problem for the Raiders if Corey Littleton is playing the way he is against Hunter Henry, who's a pretty solid tight end. So again, I would not overlook the Chargers. I tweeted today, points, 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 because whatever the over is, take it, because I, I believe the first team that gets the 38 points is going to win that game. Yeah, it should be a high-scoring game. I agree with you. And the numbers on Herbert, uh, 1,820 yards passing. That's 303 yards a game. That's 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 big time. That, that's elite. Mm-hmm. 15 touchdowns to only five interceptions. And he also has two rushing touchdowns, I saw. he uh, Against the Jaguars, he had like 66 yards rushing. So he's a mobile guy. He can, he can hurt you with his legs as well. And um, three of those losses were very, very close games. Three points to the Chiefs in overtime, a three-point loss in overtime to the Saints, and then a one-point loss this past weekend to the Broncos. So like you said, Raider fans, do not take this team for granted. Do not overlook this game. I say it all the time. Week-to-week league in the NFL, yeah, 2-5 and five record. That tells you one thing, but this team is, is uh, going to put up a good fight. They got their backs against the wall right now. Um, and But the good news is for the Raiders, it sounds like some help could be on the way uh, in the secondary. Damon Arnett is going to see a specialist about his thumb and uh, could be available to play this week against the Chargers. So that's great news, and we'll have to keep an eye on that uh, as we get closer to uh, the game this week. But, Mo, I'm going to get to my first break here. Great job, as usual, with the breakdown. Enjoy the rest of your Victory Monday, and then uh, I, let, I look forward to chatting with you again next week, hopefully after another Raiders win. Definitely. Try to thaw out after that time in Cleveland. I know you enjoyed it, but try to defrost your fingers and enjoy some time. Watch some Monday Night Football if you can, and and hopefully the Raiders win another game. (laughs) Absolutely, Mo. All right, we'll be right back after these words to wrap this one up. All right, and we're 
going to wrap this one up now, the week eight recap episode of Just Pod Baby. I want to thank my co-host, Mo Moten, for joining me once again. I want to thank you all for tuning in and listening to the show. It is time to begin looking forward to week nine against the Los Angeles Chargers. Make sure you're checking out my preview episode that will be coming out later in the week on Friday. We're going to get you a nice little scouting report. I'll have a, a guest on for you, a beat writer for the Chargers. So make sure you're looking out for that episode later on in the week make sure you go out and do your civic duty tomorrow on election day make sure you get your vote in let your voice be heard all right we'll talk to you later in the week as always just win baby